Welcome to the Built and Beyond podcast. This is where we share trends and knowledge and cool tools that just might help take some bricks off your back. If you're looking for insight into the built and natural environment, and well, beyond, this is the place. If you're in the federal space and want to drive innovation, we have some thoughts. Transportation, asset management, water infrastructure concerns keeping you up at night? We have guests who will talk about that too. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to the final episode of Data, Your Most Valuable Asset. Sarai and Alan join me once again. As we get past use, we start getting into the last two stages of the data lifecycle I want to briefly talk about. Uh, the first one is distribution, and distribution really is about uh, taking the data that was analyzed uh, or uh, pulled into the data warehouse for reporting and dashboarding and getting it to the right people. So when I think about distribution of what we have inside of our data warehouse, um, I think about what's the ways we're doing that. Are we doing that in a what we would call a on-premise solution? So these are things that are behind the firewall at the Department of Transportation, for instance, and that you know requires all the data to stay behind the firewall so that it's used internally. But I've also may have additional customers like consultants that are working on projects and um, just other people that are part of the permitting process associated with doing a particular project, whatever it may be. I need to have that access outside of those firewalls. So the distribution in this case needs to have some level of ability to access that information. And then there's another way to look at it too is the a lot of folks have moved in the last five years again to what we would call a hosted solution. So it's the Amazons of the world and the Microsoft Azure world are, are really starting to maintain data sets for these large organizations and put and doing it in a secure fashion and the ability to, to put that information, um, take, taking that information outside the firewall and making it accessible to, to multiple staffs. But still, when I think about that um, and multiple types of people who are using it, I still think about your in terms of distribution, you're also managing the access to it in such a fashion that you're putting permissions in place, you're putting roles and responsibilities in place around who gets access to what portions of that data warehouse and those business analytics and intelligence platforms. I think that's really when I think about distribution, that's the, the components that, that I look at. And then I would also just one last thing I'd say, determine what needs to be public facing. When you look at a city or a county and there are certain pieces that have to have a public facing process, for instance, to, to get a permit. A lot of times you have to walk through forms that are online. So that that distribution, you need to understand up front that this has a level of access. It has to be a public access. And how do we make sure that we protect that and protect our back end data um, as we're bringing information in so that you're not getting and that's where you think about things like CAPTCHAs and um, those things that make sure that robots aren't coming in and, and giving us bad data, basically. Okay, I'll shut up. Thanks. It really does add a, a whole nother level of consideration as you look to distribute, especially outside of your agency. DOTs always need to give access to counties. That's very common. So it also then 
impacts your data governance policies and how you manage quality control, especially if you have uh, individuals outside of your agency and outside of your control collecting and entering data for you into your system. One of the big uh, considerations moving into the future here that's just about upon us is autonomous and driverless vehicles and the ability to handle uh, real-time data and communicate it to the state and the state communicate data out uh, to these different uh, vehicles that may need to know that uh, we're opening up a road ahead or there's a detour or things like that. Uh, and so the whole concept of distributing and dealing with structured versus unstructured data is a topic for another podcast, but also a consideration in the planning stage when you're thinking about how you're going to distribute your data. And the last stage of the data life cycle is removed. So we bring data from the planning phase to creating it, to maintaining it, to assimilating it with other data so we can use it for our analytics and reporting and then distribute that information out to the individuals uh, from the bottom of the organization all the way to the top that need information to make decisions. But not all data needs to be kept forever. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the removal phase of, of the data lifecycle and what all that may mean. So Soraya, let's talk about that. What, what are some of the considerations for storing or removing data that may not be pertinent to making decisions today? Mr. Yeah. Pregler, I strenuously object. Yeah, strenuously. I was just going to say. All data man. you keep forever and forever. ever and ever. Storage is cheap, man. Come on, we can keep it forever. And and that's funny you say that, Helen. But man, you know, or uh, government agencies do not like to purge data. But uh, there are some things. There are times when it's okay. Um, there there are times when it's okay to purge data. You know, we don't have to keep everything forever. And the, the first thing, of course, is knowing what your, you know, what what is the term you have to keep data, right? So certain just like you're supposed to keep your taxes, what is it, for 10 years or really forever now. But there there's certain data requirements that the state has and the federal government has that you you must keep, you know, this amount of data for 10 years. And so that you, you have to be aware of those of those rules first and foremost, because that will will drive what, you know, when when you purge data. One of the cool things about having data in a warehouse is that you can actually set those rules. Um, ahead of time so that data is purged, you know, on an ongoing basis as it comes up to the end of its term. So you don't have to go, you don't have to think about it as, as you know, it's, it's an automated process. Uh, some of the things to consider is, you know, what can be archived? You know, there's a difference between archiving and purging. Archiving, I am moving off. So think of it as moving off to, to an off, off, you know, facility, right? So remember when we used to have physical files and we didn't need them in the office anymore, we would move them to an off-storage facility, off-site facility. That's sort of what archiving your data is. You don't need, necessarily need to have it in your in your active data warehouse, but you want to keep it and you're, we're going to move it to an archive uh, server. Purging your data is just that, is getting rid of it. So think about what needs to be archived versus what needs to be purged okay and then along with that as as you evolve as as organizations evolve 
then they can start thinking about sunsetting some of their systems, right? And so, you know, we started with mainframe systems. And believe it or not, there are agencies out there that still have mainframe systems. Well, these mainframe systems also are producing and housing data. And so consider as you're going through your removal stage, what systems need to be retired? What applications can be retired? What do you do with that data? Do you are you replacing that system with something else? Therefore, you're collecting, you know, you're you're collecting data now in a different way, or are you sensing that system and and retiring it for good? And so, um, when you start with your planning stage, this is a full life cycle, and really, as everything does start from the planning stage, when you're doing your planning stage, you're going to consider how that data is going to be handled at the end of its life. And so it's not just, you don't think about it at the end. So 10 years from now, you don't think about it at the end. You're going to think about that in your planning stage, what the life of that data needs to be and how long you need to, for how long you need to keep it and how it will be handled at the end. So um, it, it truly is a life cycle. And that takes us to the last topic that I'd like to discuss here today regarding data governance, data warehousing, and data analytics. And that's the different types of return on investment in the infrastructure, the people, and the process to deploy data governance, data warehouses, and your uh, uh, business intelligence solutions to get to that point where we can make impactful decisions with predictive data. And of course, return on investments most traditionally are defined in financial terms. If we invest X amount of dollars in information management systems, we anticipate to either save or earn a Z number of dollars on that investment. But within the realm of information management, asset management, and technologies, return on investment oftentimes uh, come in different formats. So what I'd like to talk about are some of the different non-traditional return on investments uh, and, and how they apply to deploying these types of technologies and processes within your organization. And the first one is time savings. So what are some examples of time savings that data governance combined with a, a assimilated standardized data warehouse and business intelligence tools will save you? Soraya, feel free. Well, I, I, I touched upon this um, a little bit ago and, and one of the, you know, time savings that data governance and, and having your data all in one place will give you is efficiencies when trying to run reports. Uh, we hear stories all of the time about people gathering data. You know, somebody, a manager asks or an executive asks to see uh, a certain report and people are literally scouring around gathering the information, right? And so, you know, you're going to 10 different people to get that information and then you're putting it together in, in that report, cleaning the data, formatting it. Whereas if you have your data in, in a warehouse and using, in your, using processes and procedures from data governance, um, the time savings to get that, to get that report is gonna be huge going to be huge and and that's something that um, implementing a data governance framework or or program you're going to get that return on investment and time savings quick it's going to be quick 
Yeah, I, I would add to that is, you know, you obviously in that reporting because you were ability to to cut across the different agencies and departments and pull that data together. There's definitely time savings in that and putting the enterprise warehouse in place that we talked about. There's also the ability to, through some of the the newer technologies getting applied here, um, for instance, and maybe it's data collection or, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- th- in those areas that allow us to, to, again, save time and saving time is saving money, or at least the ability to to apply the personnel that's saving time in their in these new data collection tools that are available and processes, that now they can apply that to to take more time on the analytics side that they didn't have available because of the time savings um, applied across these the, the the new techniques and things that are out there. So, you know, return on investment is a really tough thing to try to to understand in terms of um, getting information out that is quantitative. A lot of times there's a lot, many qualitative components to uh, doing data governance and doing these different activities that we've talked about today that really give a, a return on investment, but it's hard to, to put a number to it necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I would say, you know, think about if you're doing projects better, if you're doing, um, you're making the roads safer. I mean, at the end of the, just because because you've put these different uh, technologies in place and, and business systems and data governance in place, it, it, you know, it, it gets down to potentially putting the value on a life. And what is that? I mean, that, that's your return on investment. We're doing things better now because we've got better information to make sure that we're not screwing it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, we we have the example um, from 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 ODOT where you know they were having median crashes, right? And so they were able to use data and analytics to see what was going on, why we were having some so many crashes, and they were able to implement uh, a solution based on that data and those findings to to um, put in a, a you know, new safety barriers, and essentially they reduced the crashes down by 95%. So these planners used, actually used data and reporting to see what was going on and implemented a solution that essentially does save lives. So, you know, return on, you know, when you think about what it costs when an accident happens, what it, what it costs an agency, even when it's just a regular accident, right? you know, sheriffs have to be just, you know, dispatched out there. You have to go through all the paperwork and this and that. Um, it really does. Your return on investment is is going to be big because you're going to be able to implement these, these safety measures and make better decisions. Um, and, you know, planning projects is, is huge. When you have better data, you can, um, you're, you're going to do better and you're, you're going to be more efficient in your planning of your projects because you're going to use historical information. So, well, yeah, like Alan said, yeah, I was just going to say, like Alan said, while putting, it's not easy to put that financial number, but at the end of the day, right, we can translate everything into a financial number because if it takes an employee eight hours and that employee makes $20 an hour, well, now it takes them two hours, you you get the point. 
Sure, and, and those non-traditional ROIs that you've alluded to besides time savings are better decision making and reporting, uh, more timely uh, uh, reporting, uh, increased level of service because better quality data. The predictive analysis also allows you to migrate from a reactive to more of a proactive approach to asset and work management, uh, being better able to predict the, the need for resources, mm -hmm. uh, both staff as well as funding, uh, as well as predict the remaining useful life of your assets. And if you're a DOT, that's required for some of your Federal Highway Administration reports. So these systems can definitely help you evolve uh, to that point in time. And as Soraya had indicated, everything comes down to time and time is money. So we can even translate these non-traditional ROIs into a financial investment, uh, return on investment. So for that, uh, that brings us to the end of our podcast here today. So first off, I'd like to thank Alan and Soraya for joining me here today. And on behalf of Alan, Soraya, and DTS, I'm John Pregler thanking you and saying good night. <laughs>